All right, let's take, take a little time here this morning. I'm going to uh, get started on a message that I'm sure that I won't finish for the sake of time, but I, I do want to touch on some things this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And while you're turning there, how many of you lived here long enough to remember when there was no talk ever about the commute in the morning or the commute in the afternoon, huh? Uh, around here, the Treasure Valley, you just got on the road and you drove. I mean, there was no traffic, nothing to speak of. And our traffic really isn't bad compared to a lot of places I've been, but uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not what it was. And so anyways, this older gal, her husband was out on the road running some errands, and she knew that he was going to be on the interstate, and she heard on the news that there was a crazy guy driving the opposite direction on the interstate against all the traffic. So she was concerned for her husband's safety and well-being, so she called him on his cell phone and said, Honey, be really careful. Uh, there's a guy out there, and he's driving the wrong way on the interstate. He said, No, honey, I'm out here. Everybody's driving the wrong way <laughs> on the interstate. <laughs> Amen. You ever had one of those experiences? All right, Romans chapter 8, and a verse I know that we're all familiar with, and that is verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I'm going to talk to you this morning for a little bit on the subject of some things worth knowing. Some things worth knowing. Little girl saw her grandmother's Bible one time and she was thumbing through it and she noticed that there were so many different verses that had T period, P period next to them. And she said, Grandma, what, is, what does that mean? And she said, Honey, it means that that verse is a promise of God and it's been tried in my life and proven. Tried and proven. You know, we live in trying times. And so it's good to know some of those tried and proven verses. And Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is one of them. You know, uh, we live in the, in the age of the information explosion. I'm not going to try to convince you of that with uh, astounding statistics. I think uh, we know uh, that we live in that age. And the Bible says in the book of Daniel, men shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. But I, I don't see wisdom increasing. I, I do see knowledge increasing or maybe even more to the point, information increasing. And there are some things that, that really aren't worth knowing. But you know, we even use it as an expression. Sometimes we'll bump into somebody and we'll say, well, what do you know? Or sometimes something will happen, and we use it as an exclamation. We'll go, well, what do you know when something happens? In this day and age of social media, here's an interesting one. <laughs> now we have fact checkers. I, I've been thinking quite a bit and wondering, who anointed them? <laughs> I, 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 really, I really wonder sometimes, who anointed them? You know, to make sure that everything has been sterilized and filtered correctly. 
Kind of interesting, isn't it? And all the controversy over the COVID-19 virus. I'm sure that we're all certain we've got the right information on that one. And everybody's giving it to us straight, right? And you know, it's so much so that way that some people actually live in a virtual world with a virtual reality, and they really do like it that way. But you know what bothers me more than anything else about those things right there is when I read in James, I read about a wisdom that's, that James calls sensual, devilish. Uh, when you read that portion of Scripture in chapter 3 and verses 13 through 18, we find out that it's, it, it's, it's not real wisdom at all. It's not peaceable. It's not easy to be entreated. The, the motive behind it isn't to edify or, or to bless. I think in so many words, it's a great description of our current culture of gotcha. Gotcha. So much of what passes off as knowledge these days is just the accuser of the brethren using people. Now look, I'm not going to be foolish. I'm old enough to remember when a lot of preachers try to uh, preach us all out of getting rid of our television. How many of you remember those days? Yeah. And we were just going to, you know, throw those things out and never look at them again. And uh, I, I know social media is here to stay. I, I know all that stuff is, is here and it's going to continue to progress, probably digress. But let me say this to you don't get addicted on other people's opinions. And that's what most of it is. Oh, look, I got more likes. <laughs> you know what? If you're going to be on that, why don't you use it as a, as a platform for evangelism? And by the way, if you do that, whoever friends you will be friending you for the right reason. Amen? And, and don't get obsessed with that. Don't get obsessed with telling everybody about your life. Because I hate to break it to you this morning, but you are not a celebrity. And no matter how many likes you have or followers, you're really not popular. Hate to break it to you. Why don't you spend some time living life instead of telling everybody about yourself? Tell them about Jesus Christ. Spend some time communicating with your family. Remember them? You ever been in a restaurant or a coffee shop and see a family of people sitting there, sometimes not just husband and wife, but the kids? And, and everybody, everybody without exception is looking down and, and doing this. Hey, this is not a sin, what I'm going to suggest. Leave it in the car for an hour. See if you can live without it for an hour. And talk to each other. But my point is this. There's so much that passes off as knowledge and understanding really isn't. In fact, Paul referenced this one time in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when he said, and if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. 
But if any man love God, the same is known of him. You know, when it comes to knowledge, even correct knowledge, even Bible knowledge, if it isn't tempered with charity, can puff us up. Doesn't the Bible say knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies? Knowledge in a vacuum, just knowledge. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge tends to puff us up. But if mixed with charity, biblical knowledge can be very edifying. And so I want to talk to you this morning on some things that some things that are worth knowing. Romans 8:28, some of the uh, testimony here uh, this morning about Ron Hamilton and, and the origins of the ministry fall right into that category. And, and, I, and I can't agree with our brother more. When you, can, when you can see something good coming out of something bad happening to you, it's a whole lot easier to deal with, isn't it? But we all carry those things in our lives. And if you don't, just give it time, you will. Where, where what happened just doesn't seem to make any sense at all. And, and we can't see how any good can come of it. When I think of those things in my life and watch them in the lives of others, I think of, I think of Psalm 76, verse 10, where it says, He maketh the wrath of man to praise him. That's why Romans 8, 28 is such a, such a great verse. Well, that, that verse really means that, you know, if, if I did everything right and it went haywire, it works together for good. No, he maketh even the wrath of man to praise him. You got some things you messed up pretty good. And you look back on them and you realize, yeah, that's, that, that was my mess. It's got, it's got my fingerprints all over it. Okay, give it to the Lord. You say, well, I can't see what good could come of that. It's really not important that you can see it. But that God said he would. That God said he would. Some things worth knowing. Will Rogers one time said many years ago, he said, all I know is what I read in the papers. Socrates one time said, I know nothing except the fact of my ignorance. Well, that's kind of sad. To be a history-renowned philosopher and come to that conclusion... Folks, we've already benefited just by the one verse we've looked at. Some things worth knowing. The one I want to touch on this morning is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you would turn there, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll look at one of these things worth knowing this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul says... For the which cause I also suffer these things. That is, his calling, his apostleship, verse 11. He says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Folks, you know, I like the way Paul looked at life. If he was ashamed of anything, it was his sin. It wasn't Jesus Christ. I think it's a shame when God's people are ashamed of Christ, but not ashamed of their sin. 
Paul was not ashamed. Paul was not ashamed of the circumstances that God put him through. He says, for I know, and I want you to look at that next word, whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I submit to you this morning that knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior is something worth knowing. And I want you to notice that word, whom. He doesn't say, I know what I have believed. You notice it doesn't say, I know how I have believed. It says, I know whom I have believed. You say, preacher, why are you making a point of that? Well, because I've watched a lot of Christians struggle with assurance of their salvation because they spent too much time on what they believed when they believed they got saved or how they believed when they believed they got saved. And you know something? If you start comparing your testimony to everybody else's testimony, you're going to come to one of two conclusions that are both false. You're going to come to the conclusion that everybody else is lost and you're the only one saved. You ever met one of those Christians? I've heard preachers that that preach this way. It's almost like if you didn't get saved exactly the way I got saved with similar circumstances, then you didn't really get saved. But the other conclusion you can come to is that I'm not saved. I remember I was in Bible school, and the first time I really struggled with assurance of my salvation after I had been saved, it, it it was a couple years later. I'm in Bible school. I'm in a preaching class and we're giving our salvation testimony, and I'm, I'm one of the last ones to give it, and I'm listening to all these other guys, and they got these, these testimonies. They know who was preaching. They knew the date. Uh, they, they came down the aisle. They knew the color of the carpet. You know, the guy that, that was the altar worker was their uncle or their great-grandfather or something, and they still have the decision card in their Bible. And I'm hearing all these testimonies, and I'm thinking, am I saved? Because my church I went to, we didn't have an invitation. I'm not going to talk about the wrong and the right of that. That's just the way it was. And, And I believe I got saved sometime in the month of August in 1973. And, and you know, the Bible says in the book of Romans that you believed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered you. And I knew I had done that because my life started changing and I was a new man in Christ. I was a new creature. And all those things that are supposed to happen to a Christian were happening to me. But I didn't have that exact moment, second decision with the card testimony. You know what? That's not the important thing. Uh, Folks, whom did you believe? Whom are you believing on now? If someone's to ask you, are you going to heaven today? And you said yes. And then they said, well, why do you say that? Tell them it's because I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Sometimes we get too worried about the what we have believed or the how we have believed, but what's important is whom we have believed. We have a no-so salvation. 
And, and by the way, you can go through all those motions and come forward and make a decision and fill out a card. But you know what? If your life never changes, if you never bear any of the fruit of the Spirit, if you never have any desire to tell anybody else about Jesus Christ, then I would wonder. I would wonder. Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We have a no-so salvation. Let me also say this to you. Don't get hypocrisy and inconsistency mixed up. If you're an open Christian out in that world, that world, if it's on the job or in the neighborhood or perhaps in the extended family or at school, those lost people are going to look at you very carefully. And by the way, that's why some Christians don't open their mouth about Jesus Christ. And they are going to scrutinize you. And as soon as they see an inconsistency in your life, they're going to accuse you of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy and inconsistency aren't the same thing. Hypocrisy is I know I'm not saved. I'm just playing a game. Uh, young people, you know, my mom and dad come to this church. I'm stuck with that proposition till I'm 18. And I made a, 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 a profession of faith. I, I even got wet. Just to get them off my back. Do you know what you know that you are? A hypocrite. You're just playing a game. By the way, look up the word hypocrite. And the definition of hypocrite, this is it, word for word, a play actor. But where does that leave Hollywood? And, and those of us that are older, you know, maybe, maybe you're doing the same thing for whatever reason. But that's not the same, is that you truly are saved. And then it's sad sometimes that there are some inconsistencies in our lives, amen? But you know what? As we grow, a lot of those begin to fall off over time, don't they? So don't get those two things confused. You know, getting saved isn't going to make you sinless, but it will make you sin less. It will make you sin less. We have a no-so salvation. 1 John chapter 5, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now we came here this morning, and all of us brought some problems with us, didn't we? All of us brought some problems with us. And all of us left some problems somewhere else that we're going to have to go back and deal with someday. But isn't it good to know that one of these days we're going to be in heaven with God where there are no problems? And we're not looking forward to getting eternal life. The Bible says if you know Christ as your Savior, that you have it now as a present possession you may know that you have eternal life. 
The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. One of the marks of somebody knowing Christ is they love the brethren. They love the brethren. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, hereby know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. The Bible says his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. The witness of the spirit and the love of the brethren. Some don't know the Lord. The Bible says in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. Agnosticism is a, is, a, is a popular philosophy these days. It's not atheism. It doesn't deny God. It just kind of says, eh, maybe, maybe not. And it's the idea of, of complete uncertainty, maximum uncertainty. I was dealing with someone on the street one time and professed to be an agnostic, and everything you tried to show him, he, he, would, he would get out of it by just saying, well, you know, we, we don't know those things for sure. You can't know those things for sure. And I finally stopped him and I said, you're, you're telling me that you can know nothing for sure. He says, yes. I said, are you certain of that? He said, absolutely. <laughs> but boy, I'll tell you what, especially in these days, it's good to know the Lord. The prayer of a skeptic goes like this, oh Lord, if there is a Lord, save my soul. If I have a soul, Amen. I have studied now philosophy and jurisprudence, medicine, and even, alas, theology, from end to end with labor keen, and here, poor fool, with all my lore, I stand no wiser than before. I remember shortly after I was saved, just a 18-year-old kid, just, just saved out of the drug culture, still had a lot of my grave clothes on. I remember trying to give an older man a track, and he refused. And I tried to reason with him, and he cussed me out. And so he walked away, and I, I remember as he was walking away, I was thinking to myself, here I am, not 20 years old, and God, I didn't know much Bible, to be honest with you. I've told you the stories. I really got excited when I saw the, uh, in the Old Testament there was an Italian prophet named Malachi. Because my dad's full-blooded Italian. I thought, great, look, there's the Italian prophet. I told you the story about being in church and uh, the pastor was reading out of 1 John and I'm over in the Gospel of John. And I'm just, you know, nothing was lining up, but I was just kind of, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm, yeah, and then the guy sitting next to me just sort of leaned over. He was kind of amused. And he just turned my pages over to 1 John. I didn't know much Bible. I mean, these kids grew up here. They know the story of David and Goliath. They, they know about Noah's Ark. They know about Moses. They know those stories. I, I, I didn't know much about most of that. But I remember as that older man walked away, and he just got done cussing me out, and, 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 and it was pretty clear what he was rejecting. Because I told him it was a gospel track about Jesus Christ and how you can be saved as, as a free gift. 
I remember thinking to myself, I'm not 20 years old, and I know the most important thing in life. The most important thing in life. Never mind education. Never mind making a living. Never mind living. Never mind dying. I know the most important thing there is to know, that I'm going to heaven. And if you're here this morning, and you know Christ is your personal Savior, you know the most important thing there is to know. Now, as a Christian, there's a lot more to know, but that's the most important thing. And God has given us a salvation where we know that we can know. You know, before you're saved, the devil will try to give you a false assurance. Someone will witness to you, and and you'll say, and the devil will say to you, he'll say, you got your religion, you're okay, don't worry about it. And then after you get saved, he'll try to give you doubt. But remember something. It's not what, it's not how, it's whom. Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I've been saved long enough that I can see 50 years from where I'm standing. And you want to know something? There's always a danger of taking that wonderful fact for granted. If you're saved here this morning, you should be thanking God every day. You should be thanking God every day. And by the way, if we don't develop a thankful spirit about these things, what will happen is, is we'll develop an entitled spirit. Well, of course I'm saved. I mean, we wouldn't say it this way because it's, it's so theologically incorrect and stupid. We'd be corrected immediately. Uh, we'd never say it this way, but we begin to act like I've always been saved. Right? And man, I'm so important to the work of God that, man, when I die, well, I guess God will be done doing anything in this world. We can get that sense of entitlement. We can get that sense of self-importance if we're not careful. I, I think the church at Ephesus developed that when Jesus said, you left your first love. And don't misunderstand, that was a great church in church history. That's the first century church, the church of the martyrs. But may we always stand in awe that God would give his son for me for you and would save me and give me eternal life and love me the way he loves me. May we never grow jaded or calloused to those great truths. And Paul says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. People say, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Do you believe you have to keep it? Do you believe you can lose it? I believe it has nothing to do with me. Once I bowed my knee and my heart and my mind to God in repentance and received Christ as my personal Savior, it's all completely in his hands. That's worth knowing. 
That's worth knowing. And by the way, if you know it, it's worth sharing with others. It's worth it. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I, I know that I've been, I've been guilty after so many years of, of taking the fact that I'm saved for granted. And so this morning, Lord, renew in us that first love. Renew in us that gratitude. That gratitude for your grace and what you've done for us so freely. And Lord, whether we've been saved here today four weeks or 40 years, help us to realize we're no more worthy today to be saved than we were a week before we got saved. It's only by your grace. It's only by your mercy. And it's only by your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that we know whom we have believed. And may we this morning be persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. And Father, may we go forth from this place not ashamed, not ashamed of you, ashamed perhaps of our own sin, of our own shortcomings, and our own faults, but not ashamed of you. Tell others about such a great Savior. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 388. Number 388. Wondrous grace to me He hath made known Nor why unworthy Christ in love Redeemed me for His own But I know whom I have believed And am persuaded That He is able To keep that which I've committed Unto him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word brought peace within my heart. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. Now I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, or if I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is I've committed unto him against the
All right, Brother Doty, Brother Ken Doty, would you please come up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, do we come to you this morning and do we especially thank you, Father, for the person or persons who told us about Jesus Christ and thank you how the Spirit and how we accepted Christ as our Savior, Lord. And that day you changed our life forever. Lord, not knowing what we were going to get into, but Father, help us to have that same zeal as that person who looked into our eyes many, many years ago with wanted to tell us about the greatest thing they ever heard. So give us that zeal to go out today and to tell others about Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for those out there who don't know Christ as their Savior. Lord, may this be the day of salvation. May they ponder those thoughts and get in touch with someone who knows how to lead them to Jesus Christ. Thank you again, Father, for today. Thank you, Father, for this weekend of this great musical thing we've heard. And Father, I pray that you'd bless them as they proceed on and protect them on the road down by the way. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.